So you probably experienced this come to church today. I experienced it a whole lot. Uh, Caleb and I ran up to Indianapolis Friday night and we were coming back and the fog was so bad. Thanks. The fog was so bad. At one point I thought we're going to have to slow the car all the way down and just idle and turn on our flashers. So nobody going 70 slams into the back of us. Cause I like Sue, I couldn't see you. Like it was that, that's how far headlights, headlights made things worse. When I turned the headlights on, right. Then it just lights up all the fog. So it was difficult. And most of the time, in that fog, I only had one hope. And my hope was to find somewhere a white line or some little reflectors of the little, uh, you know, the reflectors that they put to mark the lane. And all I could do was strain to see those two things and keep the car between them, right? And that's what I was doing. So that white line, and those little reflectors, if I said, if you go outside that white line, you'll die. If you cross those little blinker flasher things to the other side, you will surely die. Would you think, gosh, that white line is a tyrant. Like how cruel is that little white line that it would be so evil that it would be so demanding that if I cross that white line, I'll die. Like, I don't die. It's just a white line. What's the big deal? Or these little flashy thingies that reflect, you know, I got, they don't have light in their own. They just reflect the light. I shine on them. What's the big deal if I cross that? I won't die. I won't be dead. I can go 70. I can really go 70. Seriously, what state trooper is going to pull you over in fog? I could go 90 right? No big deal. I was not going 90. Cindy's not in here. I was going 90. No, it wasn't. It's ridiculous to think that that white line is a tyrant, right? That white line is saving my life. Those little reflector things are saving my life. So let's talk about Moses. People come out of Egypt and they are delivered from 400 years of slavery. Okay, so to give you an idea, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, who like was a sculptor and architect and designer, he was alive 400 years ago. So you think, gosh, that's a long time? From him till now, if you were in slavery, if your people were in slavery, that's a long time. 400 years of slavery, they come out of slavery and God gives them a law. God gives them a way of life and a way to live. And he says, if you do this, I will be your God. You will be my people and I will take you into a prosperous land and I will bless you. Hmm. Is God a tyrant for saying, if you don't follow me? And if you don't do my law, I'll, I won't take care of you. Not right. Some people could look at that. You could look at, say, that's awfully demanding of God to say that you have to follow all those laws. Just like it's awfully demanding of that white line on the highway to say that I can't cross it. (laughs) 
but they're very similar. God's law was put into effect to help the people to have a government. They didn't have a government. They had no government structure at all except slavery. And so they're given this law. What in the world are we talking about this? Come on, Hebrews 9. You already know the answer. Hebrews 9.1, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, the table, the bread of the presence. I'm not going to read all that, but it gives us whole detail of the temple, of the tabernacle. The key that I want to focus on is this opening line. Even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. The first covenant that Moses gave, it gave regulations for worship. Okay, look, if you're going to come and pray and you've got a skin disease, here's how you need to pray and the offerings you need to bring to heal your skin disease before you come and pray. And if you're going to come and pray, do not eat a whole bunch of pork before you come and pray. And it's really wild. You can, you can look into the history and, and a bunch of the things that God gave them as laws were either things to make them not worship the gods of Egypt anymore because the gods of Egypt all love pork and we're not going to follow the gods of Egypt, so we're done with pork. Or they were things that people just in the wilderness and in Israel, it was really hard to cook it right. And so it could make you really, really sick. That's a lot of the shellfish and a lot of the scavenger animals. Don't the food laws that address those. Um, it was just really, it, it would be bad for them to eat that. So there's some really practical things in the law that are really cool to look into. And so God gives them these laws and gives them these ways for them to worship him. And then he gives architecture and he gives them this building. Sometimes I want to bring some tape in and just tape up stuff and build things just so we can see it better. Oh, we're not going to do it. It's okay. Not going to do a big remont, big remodel on the church, but, but imagine a, a big cube. I mean, about as wide as one of these rows of pews, but it's a cube. So it's that big, it's that big, it's that tall. And that cube is one third of the whole tent. And the back part of the tent, well, no, we'll say, we'll say Mike's part of the tent. The front of the tent is the Holy of Holies. And it's this cube box. And only one person can go in there. Only one day of the year. We'll go there. We'll look at it. Leviticus 16. So keep your spot in Hebrews 9. Leviticus 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to get an idea of how specific it is to get into that 15 foot by 15 foot by 15 foot box. It's covered with all kinds of fine seal skin, all kinds of amazing animal skins. It has uh, blue and purple linens hanging from it. And then inside, it's like wooden cabinets covered in gold. It's like wood, um, wood paneling 
And then there's gold on top of the wood. There's two angel statues in there that are over the Ark of the Covenant. And it's just, it's just amazing. Aaron, this is, uh, here we go. We'll go, we'll just do Leviticus 16.1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. In other words, two people that did it wrong, they got killed by fire instantly. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so he won't die. I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Here is how Aaron can come into the holy place. With a bull from the herd of a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, he'll put on the holy linen coat and will have the linen undergarment on his body. What? They even detail the underwear to wear. He's going to tie the linen sash around his waist, wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He'll take from the congregation of the people two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Okay, so if you read all that and you had your cash register going, ching, ching, ringing things up, right? He's got a bull and a ram for a burnt offering. He has to take a shower, which they didn't take showers every day because it was water was kind of hard to come by sometimes so he has to wash himself he has to put on these special clothes that are described elsewhere and really cool thing about all the clothes they're really really fine fabrics but they're all designed to not let him sweat so he is as comfortable and as um, just at ease as can be in regards to his clothing because he has to get all this right, because if he gets it wrong, he's dead. <laughs> so, so show up in your sweatpants. You're going to get stressed from other things. A bull, a ram. He puts on all of these holy garments. Then from the people, he gets two male goats for a sin offering and a ram. So he has a small-sized farm just to go into this room. Even then, it's only once a year. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, shall make atonement for himself and his whole house. There's a whole list of, if you commit this sin, here's what you have to offer. If you commit these kinds of sins, you need to give a goat. If you commit these sins and you're poor, you can bring, bring two doves. If Aaron has to bring a bull for his sin offering... That is the top level of sin. If, if, you know, just a normal Thursday and I have sinned and I need to bring a, a, a sin offering to the temple and Jim looks out his window and he sees me walking down the street with a bull for my sin offering, Jim and everybody else is going to know, whoa, Sully, you did something bad. That is a big deal, right? We look out the window. We see Caleb going to the temple with two doves. We're like, oh, that poor kid. I wonder how he messed up. It's not as bad of a sin with just two doves. The offering wasn't that required. So here's the high priest 
with the highest sacrifice for his sin. On top of all of these other things, he does all of that. He slaughters all of them. There's one um, one theory that he would carry it. And as he would carry these sacrifices around and commit all of these sacrifices, that his linens would just get soiled and soaked in blood. And so that by the time he is done sacrificing all of these animals, he is completely covered. I mean, you don't see it much anymore, but did you ever go to the butcher shop and the butcher would be walking around and he would come out and he would just have just nasty on his apron and you'd be like, whoa, I don't want to know. I don't want to know these came from animals. Just give me my sausage. The high priest would be covered. And he would take that sacrifice and he would go into the veil through the through the, the, the curtains and everything and into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement. Lots and lots of rules, right? That's what in Hebrews 9 they're talking about. When they talk about the high priest doing these things. In the room, there was very specific furniture. We talked about this last week. There's no chair because they're active in doing it. Then Hebrews 9.5 is a really interesting line. The whole start of Hebrews 9, he's detailing what all's in there. And he says, above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these, we can't talk in detail right now. So he starts to talk in detail, just like I probably went too much detail. And then he's like, but that's not the point. They all knew about all of this stuff. They grew up with it. They, they celebrated it. Um, only the Levites got to go in and see it. But if you, you know, live down the street from a Levite kid, that kid would learn stuff from his dad and you could ask him, what's the Ark of the Covenant look like? What's it like to be in there? All that business. Hebrews 9, verse 6. These preparations having been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and only once a year without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened, as long as the first is standing. So, you know, I always encourage you guys, read your Bible really slow. Because you think you're just cruising along, and then all of a sudden he gives this, this detail that the temple was built this way to show that there's a way to get in to see God. And as long as that way is standing... As long as the outer court is standing, you have to go through it to get to God. What he's implying here is that is no longer standing. There is no more tent. The tent was destroyed in the wilderness. The temple was built. The temple has been destroyed. Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. The temple was all pointing to Jesus. And it's gone. So 
Out front, we have a sign. Westminster Church, right? We have that sign here to let people know that's what this is. They're here. We don't put on that sign this way, 50 feet. Because it's right there. It's There it is. The temple and the tabernacle, all of that was a sign pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus is here. And the tabernacle and the temple are gone. If we rebuild the temple, does that mean we don't need Jesus? Nope. Any other temple that gets built isn't Jesus. Jesus is here now. So the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. As long as the temple's there, that's the way to meet God. But guess what? It's gone. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff. All of those offerings, the bull, the goat, the ram, the two goats, the pigeons, if you're poor, you had to bring those over and over and over again, year after year. How many times did Jesus have to die on the cross? Once. He died once and for all. So none of those other sacrifices need to be made. Guess what? There's no more holy places. The holy places are wherever Jesus is. There's no more holy garments because we put on Christ. We wear Christ. We are all holy in him. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, though the greater and more perfect tent, this tent in the heavens. So everything that was made on earth was a shadow of whatever is going on in the heavens where God is, right? This strange, whatever Moses saw. Just like when I'm on the highway and I can't see the road and all I can see is that white line and these little reflectors. That is such a poor shadow of if I drove down that same road like in October on a sunny day. In October, on a sunny day, southern Indiana, what is it, right? It's orange. It's red. The sycamore trees are just white as can be. It's so beautiful. And that's what all of this in Hebrews 9 is trying to convey. As awesome as a choir is, as awesome as a room plated in gold with 15-foot angels, it is just a shadow of what it's going to be to see Jesus face to face. What it's going to be to be in that heavenly temple. But wait, you're, you in Christ and Christ in you is the heavenly temple. Which means that you and your, your life led by the Holy Spirit is more spiritual and is more holy and glorious than the temple itself. That seems really hard to believe, doesn't it? It seems hard to believe that, you know, these priests and all of these sacrifices and all of this incense and all of the sound and all of these people, that was all a road reflector in the fog compared to your glorious Christian life in Christ that, that we get to live.
It's that much different. I'm going to skip all the way down to verse 15. Nope, 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The goal of all of those sacrifices, when that priest came out with the Day of Atonement and they saw that God didn't kill him dead, they would blow the shofar and everybody would hear it and you knew your sins were forgiven until you committed the next one. And then you'd have to wait till next year. And... But now Jesus has purified our conscience from dead works. So no more sin counts against us at all. We are completely free. Later on in Hebrews 9, it talks about wills and covenants and how a will goes into effect when somebody dies. But what is this covenant and what is this will? And it kind of gets a little bit confusing, but I want to sum it all up. I want to sum it all up in this in verse 23. It was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. It doesn't matter if you took the purest lamb or the purest bull up to heaven with you and sacrificed it before God, it would not take away sin. Because those lambs and those sheep aren't what rebelled against God. Mankind rebelled against God. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And so that's what was guilty. Mankind was guilty. And so Jesus himself took himself as the sacrifice to the Lord. And so now everything, like completely, we, we, are, we are completely washed clean. It's necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus has done the sacrifice. He has finished it and completed it. And all the way at the end, verse 27, just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that come to judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Anytime we think, oh, I didn't do a very good job. Anytime we think, I need to make a New Year's resolution to make myself better. Come back to this. Jesus has washed away your sin once and for all, completely. Nothing else counts against you. And why did he do it? To free you up to serve him. Nothing can hold you back. Oh, I can't do that. I can't tell that person that God loves them. What if they ask me a Bible question and I don't know? Well, Hebrews 9 says you're complete and you're ready. You know what? I could, this person's having a real problem. I could just ask them if I could pray for them 
right here, but oh my gosh, I don't even know how to pray for somebody. Guess what? Hebrews 9 says you are completely ready. You are completely equipped. Say, oh gosh, something bad's going to happen to me because I did something bad. Hebrews 9 says something bad happened to Jesus. And now everything that you do bad is not going to be held against you. He took your judgment. And so when he comes back, he's not going to deal with sin, but he's going to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's going to come back to pick us up. And because our sin has already been paid for, our sin has already been washed away. All right. What's fun is that all sounds like the exact thing we're going to talk about next week in Hebrews 10. If you looked ahead, the subtitle before Hebrews 10, Christ sacrificed once and for all. This guy is really trying to get everybody to know you don't have to live by the law anymore. When Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't just give us a new law to be afraid of. He gives us life in his life. All right, getting carried away. We'll talk about that next week. Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for taking away our sin once and for all. Thank you for being our high priest and being our mediator between us and you. So now we can come to you directly with a clean conscience. I pray that you would push this down into our souls, Lord, that we would talk to you freely and that we would see all the ways that you are making us holy even today. We love you, Lord. Amen.